Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly, and of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. In fact, off the top, in the absence of our good friend Alan Van Denderen, who's taking the week off. Now, in October last year, the Socceroos were on a World Cup qualifying record winning streak of 11 games, top of their group, and on track for a fifth straight World Cup in Qatar through direct qualification. Fast forward eight months, and after a calamitous final phase, which saw Australia secure just six points from a possible 21, qualification is hanging by the most slender of threads, with two must-win matches in Doha over the next two weeks. Beat the UAE on Wednesday morning our time, then it's a cutthroat match against Peru the following week. Can Graham Arnold's men negotiate the treacherous path ahead? We're about to find out. And first up this week, we'll break it all down with a man famous for pulling no friend of the show since our very first episode cap 60 times with the Socceroos the great John Cosmina after that chief football writer with the age Michael Lynch will tell us how John Aloisi conjured a grand final win for Western United in the A-League men's competition just three years since they were just a plan on a Tarnik drawing board then the Athletics Rob Tanner will wrap up some of the big stories out of Europe, including the chaos around Real Madrid's defeat of Liverpool in the Champions League final, Nottingham Forest back in the top flight, and the incredible story of Ukraine's 3-1 defeat of Scotland at Hampden Park, which has the war-torn nation a game away from a spot in the World Cup themselves. And of course, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time with Derek and Edge and uh, anything we haven't spoken about during the course of the show. Michael, you're over there in Doha right now. You watch the uh, Socceroos play Jordan overnight. How How's things uh, uh, looking in the camp, mate? Uh, greetings to all the listeners in Australia and around the world, wherever uh, and whenever you're listening via our podcast platform. Uh, we love your company on Box to Bucks. Obviously, Rob, I'm in, Do- in Doha for the next few weeks and the momentum is building towards the important AFC inter- Intercontinental Playoff match with the United Arab Emirates, who um, I understand are very motivated. Uh, that match early next Wednesday morning Australian time, we got off to a a good start, a scratchy match against uh, Jordan. The first half was a bit um, difficult, but the, the team seemed to get better as the uh, as the match went on, and we ended up getting over the top. I think the first time in this campaign we've come from behind uh, and to win a game, so there's something in that. However, uh, there is a bit of a cloud over the camp, and that is the withdrawal of uh, Celtic superstar Tom Rogic uh, for personal reasons. Um, this, uh, Rob, uh, you'd have to say, is a bit of a blow. Yeah, look, it's a, a huge blow from those of us outside observers. It would be interesting to see what Cozzy, and we'll ask Lynchy about it as well. Um, you know, Tom Rogic has never been at his absolute peak um, uh, playing for Australia, but uh, but the kind of form that he's in and, and the success that he's had uh, with Celtic suggests that, uh, you know, we've just been waiting for that moment that he that he gets a result. Well, look, you know what I'll do? I mean, Willem's taking the week off. Derek's with us uh, to get the show started. Uh, what's your view, Derek? You, you've just uh, over the past eight years, gradually uh, um, uh, immersed yourself in in the local game. Uh, how important is the loss of uh, Tom Rogic for this match? Yeah, well, he obviously comes into the game on a bit of a high uh, with Celtic, obviously winning winning the title and leaving in a a fanfare of, of gl- glory there. And obviously, he provides a kind of unique skill set. With all due respect to the rest of the Socceroos team, he's got 
he's kind of uh, quite a dynamic player. He can kind of run in the channels. He's a he's a goal scorer. He can peel out wide. He can feed in uh, passes for for other teammates. And I'm sure he's one of the guys that if I was a soccer player and I saw him standing in, with me in the tunnel or indeed on the pitch, he's one of those guys that would just make me feel a bit more secure about about what we're doing. So, yeah, clearly he will be a big miss. Well, well let's get stuck into the news. Uh, the Socceroos, uh, as we've been discussing, they've come from behind to defeat Jordan 2-1 in their final match before next Wednesday's World Cup playoff against the UAE. Jordan opened the scoring on 17 minutes through Musa Altamari, uh, a great uh, shot that was, a thunderbolt out of the blue before Bailey Wright and Awa Mubil found the net either side of the half. The friendly saw a senior international debut for Kai Rolls while Wright and Jason Davidson returned to the national colours after long absences. Edge, um, Arnie was mixing it up a little bit here, um, obviously uh, uh, trying to give some opportunities and, and just get a feel for, for the squad. Um, what did you make of that match itself? Look, it's hard to say uh, whether um, any of the starting lineup was... Um you know, was a, a, a predetermined strategy about who will start next uh, week against the United Arab Emirates. I don't think so. I think it was more to do with the players that arrived into camp late and were ready to go. Uh, I think Jason Davidson's in some problems. I think he injured himself uh, late in the first half, uh, overstretching and um, uh, on a big sprint, uh, trying to track chase a, a player that he was having a few problems with. So um, he didn't come back after half time, And I, I think uh, he grabbed at his back of his leg a couple of times. So I think he, not that I have any inside knowledge, but I think he has a injury problem. So he might've done his dash. Um, I think A's Bates is still a better prospect than Jason uh, based on the, on the standard of football that Aziz uh, plays week in, week out. Um, although they are different type of left back players, but you know, it's hard to know um, you know who might get a um, a starting spot in next week's match against UAE as a result of those uh, selections. Obviously, Aaron Moy he needed a gallop. Uh, he was his usual sort of holding, screening midfield role in that sort of probing passes. But uh, really, the, the the big the big sort of formation for me was who was playing strike and Nick D'Agostino, whether Jamie McLaren or even Mitch Duke will start next week. I don't know. Um, McLaren got into camp a little bit late um, because he obviously participated in the in the A League Grand Final. Um, and I, I think you know the number ten position, uh, whether that is um, going to be Riley McGree or um, Aiden Rustic. You know, I don't don't really know. I probably favour Aiden. Uh, I can't see Kenny Kenny McDougal starting alongside Aaron in that sort of double screening midfield roles that they have. Uh, I think that'll be Jackson. I think Jackson. Uh, was sharp when he came onto the ground. So, yeah, look, look, the, the jury's out for me. And in the heart of defence, you know, I think Sainsbury owns uh, the right to to start there. So, uh, look, you know, we have to wait and see, don't we, um, as to who and and how the team takes shape. But um, it was good to come back from uh, a goal down. And we know um, Jordan were taking the game seriously. They're preparing for their Asian Cup qualifiers, which are just around the corner. So, um, yeah, they they obviously. Didn't have a great World Cup campaign, but uh, I think uh, that's a type of game we needed in the lead-up to the UAE. So a, a lot of questions, not many answers, and we'll talk to Cozzy in great detail about some of those items in, in a moment. 
We sure will. And after Cosy, we'll talk to Michael Lynch about Western United, who've become the 20th club to lift an Australian National League title after defeating Melbourne City in last weekend's A-League Grand Final. Western took the lead in the opening minutes and never looked back, adding a second through Alexander Prijevic on the 30th minute. It's a goal for Western United. Two nil up in the Grand Final. Alexander Prijevic. The hero in the second leg of the semi with two goals and assists. John Aloisi has a year to run on his two-year contract, although club CEO Chris Pelavanis has said the club would never stand in the way of his ambition to coach at higher levels. So, look, I'm really keen to, to hear what uh, what Lynchy says. He's uh, uh, on the Melbourne beat for all of the clubs. He's followed these clubs since they were unexpectedly promoted to uh, uh, to the A-League ahead of what appeared to be some better credentialed uh, um uh, uh, franchise uh, pitches, uh, but the, in three years in, uh, you know, they Mark Rudin almost got them to a grand final in the opening season before they collapsed in their second season in the COVID year. Uh, Johnny Aloisi has come in, he's mopped up, he's got it all sorted out. Uh, um, the likes of Bessart, Barisha, and uh, and Alessandro Diamonti are, are no longer there, but uh, he, he's got them to 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 beat a you know a well credentialed. Uh, premier side going for back-to-back grand finals. So all credit to John Aloisi and, and that club for, for getting the job done so so soon in their tenure. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a phenomenal achievement and uh, I'm sure Michael will comment similarly about that, um, you know, from having no organisation four years ago to winning a, a title in your third season is something that uh, I think that club should be proud of. They've got plenty of challenges off the field, but on the field they're going along beautifully. And uh, they had a big celebration, and rightly so too. They seen the tight group. They had multiple home venues. I think they played full in four home venues during the season. So they did their fair share of travel and, and negotiated the COVID, the COVID um, uh, postponements well. So congratulations to everybody at Western United. A special shout out to uh, one of my former charges, Lucy Hinchy, who's been down there managing the media, and um, I'm sure she um, had an extremely hectic uh, last few weeks, but uh, I'm, I'm sure, knowing Lucy, I think she would have had one hell of a celebration. So, congratulations to all at Western United. Uh, enjoy the and bask in the glory, and uh, no doubt they'll turn their attention to, soon to next season, and the hard work all starts again. Yeah, no, fair comment. Uh, look, um, we'll wrap it up here. Um, I know our good friend Willem did prepare assiduously for for this show for me to prepare the news there's a few other stories he's he's in mourning as he says that Lawrence Thomas is heading to uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers his all-time favorite victory man but a few other stories that uh, that he's got on the list here of course uh, the Australian under 23s uh, uh, making a winning start in the uh, under 23s Asian Cup beating Kuwait 2-0 then uh, the finalissima which uh, uh, 87,000 people Lionel Messi uh, led Argentina to a, a, a dominant victory against Italy uh, 3-0. There's a story I think we might uh, unwrap a little bit more next week that Carbon Market Watch have claimed FIFA has ignored major sources of emission in claiming this year's World Cup will be carbon neutral and then uh, the City Guard champions AC Milan uh, said to be purchased by a US investment firm. So there's a few stories just giving you a little headline on all of those um, that we will uh, explore a little bit more next week. But uh, it is a busy show. Um, We are going to wrap it up there for uh, a Big chat with John Cosmina after the break, uh, the soccer champion in his own right. Uh, uh, it will be really interesting to see just what he thinks the, the next week uh, has in store for the Socceroos and for those of us sitting on the edge of our seat. So stick around after the break. John Cosmina to talk Socceroos UAE and hopefully Peru next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yeah, this is box to box. It's a bumper show this week. We've got plenty to talk about. We're going to wrap up the grand final a little later on. Lots going on in Europe, but there is no bigger story, of course, than the Socceroos. Uh, we've been counting down the days since we thought for a long period of time that they were going to qualify directly, but when they could only manage six points from a possible 21 in the final phase of qualifying, uh, look, we've got to be grateful that they even finished in third spot and uh, and that we've still got a, a, a puncher's chance to, to get to Qatar uh, if we can first of all beat UAE next Wednesday morning our time and then get through a cutthroat match against Peru the following week. And to talk to us all about it is uh, our good mate uh, Cap60 times with the soccer is himself john cosmina how are you cosy good day. i'm good thanks so cosy uh this is a, a treacherous path uh you know we we know all too well what it used to be like we sort of felt that we'd put these days behind us to a certain extent but uh, uh most pundits sort of seem to feel like we've got the measure of the uae but peru is going to be the the obviously the real difficult one yeah, it will, but I mean, you sort of got to focus on that one. We've got to get past UAE first, and then you can start to focus on on what needs to happen against Peru. Um, you've only got to take it one game at a time. It's all um, how a whole World Cup campaign should be, anyway. You just got to play it as it comes. And look, their cards have, have uh, they're on the table now. We've just got to do what we've got to do. Cosy, um, we we spoke a little bit off the top of the show about the um, the bad news that uh, Tom Rogic wasn't available, so that opens up a. Uh, a question that everybody was everybody was expecting if Tom was there that he would fill that role as the number ten in the attacking midfield role and be the creative force that would help us in the front third. I mean, who plays in that position? Um, the contenders: Riley McGree and um, Aiden Rustich. And um, who would you go with? Look, I'm a big fan of both of those players, and um, I mean, I know Arnie won't. One of them's got to miss out because he'll definitely start. Um, Aaron Moy, I'd say that's why he got. 70-odd minutes um, last night. And he won't play with two tens. He wants a six and an eight or, or two sixes. So um, it's a tough one. Um, Riley missed out on the Japan game. And I think probably if he'd been in that squad, he had COVID from, from memory. And um, he would have made a difference that night because he's a very direct and physical sort of player. I think him and Rustich are, are both um, adequate, more than adequate substitutions for um, or alternatives for Tommy Rogic. Tommy's hot and cold. He's in and out of a game and he has moments of greatness and um, there's other moments where he can probably do things a lot better. Um, whereas I think with McGree and, um, and Rustic, you've got players that can play over the whole 90 minutes of the game and that's what we'll need in, uh, in circumstances like this. But look, for me, I'd probably um, look at McGree because he's, he's fairly direct. He gets himself in the box um, very often. He's a goal scorer. Uh, Rusic is a little bit more, um, he plays outside the box. So it's going to come down to how Arnie sees things in camp as well. I mean, we don't know what's what's going on over there. And um, he'll make his decisions when it, I guess it gets a bit closer to the mark. But he'd have um, basically what he is he, starting lineup in the back of his head at the moment. That's what he's going to work towards over the next um, five or six days. And the number nine, um, obviously, last night, Nick D'Agostino got his opportunity. Um, Jamie McLaren is in the wings. Um Mitch Duke, who's uh, carried a lot of the workload of recent times. Um, even Adam Taggart is back into camp at the moment. I mean, it's a tough one. What? Who would you go with? Uh, I mean, in, inevitably, uh, Jamie, you have I'll to go, go with Jamie. Yeah. 
Well, no, I'd go with Taggart, Adam Taggart. Jamie's hey, a yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's a he's got more. Jamie's an off the shoulder sort of player, and it's you know, you'd, and I've actually read some interesting stuff on um, on social media this morning after the game, and it, it said that you know about Jamie being a, an off the shoulder bloke, and you can look how easy um, Western or how difficult Western United made it for him in the grand final last um, mm. last uh, last weekend. So it. Um, I think with Adam Taggart, he's he's been playing games um, and he's been playing well, um, and he he gives a good physical alternative as well. He's a little bit more mobile and a bit of a different type of player to Jamie. And I think that's probably what you'd need in a game like this. You want plenty of mobility and um, and a striker that can actually lead a line in terms of holding things up as well. And Taggart can do that. Now Martin Ball didn't play last night, but we'd expect him to slot in. He's been one of the really outstanding players in this campaign, so. I think you and I would agree that he's your first uh, pick out on the right uh, wing there or the right flank in the forward line. Um, but what about the left-sided? Craig Goodwin started there last night. Matthew Leckie has had um, a groin problem he picked up in Thailand with the uh, Asian Champions League commitments with Melbourne City. It sort of hung around. I know that he got on the field for uh, Melbourne City uh, in the finals, but um, I just wonder whether Matthew's in a bit of trouble and maybe that does open the door for Craig Goodwin. Well, well, the thing is, he's, he can get treatment every day, you know, and they're over there now. So it's a tough one. Craig Goodwin, um, I love him as a player. I think he's got a hell of a lot to offer. Um, he's clever on that left side. He's a natural lefty. If you look at someone um, like Matt Leckie, Leckie can come inside um, and he's a power athlete and he's got pace to burn it. So if he's fit, I think Arnie would probably opt for him in terms of experience. Craig Goodwin hasn't got the experience at, at this level that, that, that Matt Leckie has. So I think Arnie would look for for Leckie being more of a big game type player, which is what this is. And obviously in the centre of defence, Trent Sainsbury has to come back in, you would think. Um, I know he's uncontracted at the moment and hasn't played much recently, but um, you'd expect his um, experience to carry the day. But who does, who does he partner with? I don't know. I've been with Trent Sainsbury. I'm surprised, you know, if he had these shorter match minutes. Um, yeah, and Arnie did talk a lot about play. playing, getting match minutes, why he didn't play last night. Well, Kai um, Rolls got his opportunity. Um, Bailey Wright was paired with him. Um, yeah, it's a big um, it's a big question mark about actually who's going to... Who else to... we got available? Uh, well, Bailey Wright, um, uh, I can't think Kai of who's going to back like the top of my head. Yeah, you know, Bailey Wright, Kai Rolls, obviously, um, Trent Sainsby, Joel King, who's obviously a right back. Karacic is a right back. Um, yeah, they don't have a lot there. They don't have a lot there. So Probably Bailey with, Wright. Uh, well, Bailey, I thought but, Bailey, um, he, I mean, he could have had a penalty against him last night. That If there had been VAR, he might have been guilty. But um, other than that, he did okay. He, did, he gave the ball away from time to time, but he's a, he's been playing in a, in a tough league, but yeah, it looks like we're um, in the heart, in the heart of defence. We've we've we're going to have to rely on Kai Rolls, I would think. Uh, well, it's interesting because it's a it's a big step up from from the A League, isn't it? Yes, uh, it he is. doesn't have a, a lot of experience at this level, whereas Bailey Rice played a lot of big games and he's been in and out of the national squad over the years as well. Um, and like Obviously, I said, he's been playing in a, in a tough competition. So um, would he be a better ignoring, pick? We are ignoring Milos Degenak, who. Um, might have arrived into camp late, and that's a good reason why he might not have played last night. Well, so, then I think if he's fit and healthy, then I think Arnie will probably go for him and, and Trent Sainsbury. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
obviously, um, Jason Davidson got an opportunity last night. I think he actually hurt himself. So that might have made the decision for Arnie with Aziz Beach uh, probably being favoured, I think, going forward. On the right-hand side, though, uh, Joel King or Fran Karacic. Um, Joel's got his opportunity of recent times, and I don't think he's let us down. Um, Joel's a left-sided player, though, but I think uh, you got um, Daniel Atkinson as well. Yeah, Nicole Atkinson. Atkinson yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, think, so um, mate, I, I think he's a great player. I think he's a really yeah. good player, and I think he's benefited from his his time in Scotland as well. And he's you know he's a first pick player over there now, so um, it's going to be a tough call that one because I think in terms of going forward, which I want, he might offer someone like Atkinson. You know, is he going to be conservative and go a bit more defensive, minded Karasic? Mm. Well, we might just send uh, Arnie the podcast and say, "There you go, we've selected the team for you. No need to uh, have <laughs> any sleepless nights." What do you reckon? <laughs> Why not? Arnie, so it's, knowing um, Arnie, mate, knowing Arnie, he'll he'll change his he'll have a hundred different solutions over the next few days. But he'll he'll chop and change, and he'll he'll settle on his lineup, and then he'll he'll go from there. Like I said, he's probably got um, the skeleton or the bones of it in his in the back of it now. But he'll always want to tinker with a few little things just to find out who's on and who's off. And like I said, it's, still, he, uh, it's a week away. Yeah, it is. That's right. There's a few more sessions between between now and then. Um, I mean, Cosy, just what's your reflections on um, this group of players uh, at the moment and what they've um, done in this campaign, and um, and do they have it in them to? I mean, everybody's saying we're favourites for the UAE. I mean, let's not forget the emotion behind the UAE at the moment. You know, uh, they are desperate to get to the World Cup because it's in their region. Um, it would be a huge loss of face uh, if Qatar's there and they're not. Uh, the Saudis are there, the Iranians are there, so the, you know the Egyptians are there. So there is um, the Tunisians are there, the Moroccans are there. So uh, it's a big. Um, they're under a lot of pressure. Their uh, ruler uh, died recently. He was a big uh, lover of the national football team. Um, uh, I heard has written him a uh, all a personal note days before he died. So look, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of momentum and uh, expectation on those guys. Um, it's not going to be an easy game. But but what's your reflections on this group of players and this campaign we're at at the moment? Well, I've, it's been a really tough campaign. It's it's dragged out over a lot longer than it should have. Um, because of COVID, um, we've had all sorts of problems with getting any sort of consistency or building any momentum. And if you look at the Japan game, I mean, the guys looked flat that night. Um, but with good reason because, you know, you've, you've lost three or four of your starters before you even started um, and some at the last minute. So in terms of resilience, I think they've probably had, you know, plenty of experience in build, building it up over the past 12, 18 months. Um, the thing is, Arnie's got them in a stable environment for a good period of time before the game. Um, I think the biggest thing going against the UAE is the pressure on them. Um, and they've had that before and, and, and haven't done really well with it. So, I mean, hopefully that'll play into the Aussies' favour. But I think we've certainly got the beatings at the UAE. I think it's a – look, in terms of overall talent, it's probably not as um, – there's not as much talent across the board as there has been in, in previous squads. If you go back to when you're winning the Asian Cup, there's different sorts of characters now as well. You don't have a, a Mila Yednak who, who drove that team. Um Back then, it was so it was such a different, um, I guess, psychology involved within the squad. 
this is a different type of team. A lot of younger players have come into the group now as well. Um, and they're spread out from all different types of football all around the world. So, And there's A-League kids in there as well. You know what I mean? Which, you know, in, in past squads, you go back to the last World Cup um, yeah, for Russia, the A-League players were in there. Mm, Very few. Sure. Now you've got a lot, you know, and you've got, you've got some of them in starting lineups. So um, Arnie's had a lot to deal with. Uh, the players have had even more to deal with because they're the ones that have to travel all the time. They're the ones that get crook and can't make it at the last minute. They're the ones that, you know, have had injuries at the last minute that haven't been able to get in. So there's been no time to build consistency. I think there's two weeks together beforehand um, will work in the Aussies' favour. So I think it'll be a, a more solid group, um, far more composed. You've got Aaron Moy back as well which will make a massive difference, just to the fact that you've got someone that can actually put their foot on the ball. If you think about how the midfield performed against Japan in Sydney a couple of months back, it, uh, we struggled for composure badly. Um, and Conor Metcalf got a start, and he, he really didn't... He, he, he struggled to really get composed in the game at all. Uh, Marin Moy won't have that problem at all. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a solid squad, and we've got to go out... And it, it, football might not be pretty, and I know a lot of people whinged about how hard it was to watch the Aussies last night. But international football, sometimes it is ugly. And think back over the years and, you know, you've seen horrible games with some of the best teams in the world. So it's um, international football is about getting the outcome you want, which is a result of the, the win at the end of the day. Absolutely. And um, um, it is all about the result. It doesn't matter if you if you win ugly. Um, all you've got to do is win, and um, and and they're high stakes games with a lot of pressure. So, Cosy, we've got a lot to look forward to as the the build up to the UAE match on Wednesday morning in Australian time. I know the entire football community and many of them will have a listen to this and thank you for your insight. You were on our very first uh, podcast uh, program for Box to Box three hundred and. 40 episodes ago so it's great to have you back um keep your fingers and toes crossed uh for the socceroos and uh, let's hope we're having a similar discussion uh in the next uh, couple of weeks as we uh approach the peru match mate and enjoy your time over there edge no, we'll do. Thank you, Cosy. And uh, after the break, we'll be talking to Michael Lynch about the remarkable achievement of Western United taking out this year's A-League Championship Grand Final victory. It's uh, some achievement. We'll be back right after the break with Michael Lynch. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. A little over three years ago, Western United were a blueprint on a Steve Horvat and loose sticker drawing board. Fast forward to three seasons since their debut, they were within a game of a grand final in their debut season. They've sacked their opening, or their first coach, Mark Rudin, and uh, and a legend, Johnny Aloisi, has just conjured a grand final win against Melbourne City. And to talk about all of that, our good friend from the age, Michael Lynch. How are you, Lynchy? Yeah, very tired having got up at stupid o'clock to watch the Socceroos and write about them, but uh, I'm making an effort with the matchsticks in the eyes for you, lads. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Well, we will ask you a question about that before we go, but I was doing a little bit of homework on, on uh, our chat this evening, and I found uh, an article in the Age Archive from uh, October 2019 your, the, with your byline on it, how the West was done, the men who made Western United happen. And uh, it's yeah. a great story for anyone who wants to go back to the to the to the uh, the concept that was uh, really the underdog team for the eleventh uh, uh, franchise um, spot in the A League. Mm. Well, underdog to a point, I think. You know, they 
they sold them on a vision which for various reasons, COVID largely and others, they haven't been able to realise that vision. But, you know, I think in the end it came down to a bidding war and I think they offered more than the rest to get the franchise as well. You know, that along with the blueprint and the vision they sold of essentially a kind of new stadium and a, a club-owned stadium, uh, you know, on the back of a kind of shopping, retail and residential development was a kind of blue blue sky uh, idea that, that the FFA at the time grasped. I think the fact they offered quite significant money as well, more than other bidders, probably helped too. Well, in, in your article, you talk about between twelve and twenty million to secure the license. Uh, I mean, that's a it's a pretty big window, but uh, there was some significant money from yeah, the other clubs. It is, it is. Fifty percent. Yeah, uh, Sorry? I mean, Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan was behind the uh, the, the club out in the Dandenongs. There were the the Sydney franchises as well. So there was there was a lot of money floating about at the time. Yeah, there was, yeah, and uh, I know certain um, bidders tell me that they were rung up by certain parties the night before the deadline and asked to raise their bids if they wanted to be in the game, you know, so there was a real Dutch auction going on at the time. But look, uh, I don't know if Western paid the most, but you'd have to assume they were amongst the highest bidders, but obviously... Uh, they may not have been the highest, but obviously their vision and the blueprint, the idea that they sold, partnership with Wyndham City Council, stadium development in a rapidly developing demographic area of Western Melbourne, um, shopping centre, residential zone, hotel. I mean, that looked pretty captivating on paper. They had some very good talkers to go with it. Um, what's her name now? Um, Rothy, Kate Rothy, mm. who's the president of Footy Premiers Melbourne now. But she was front and square as kind of one of the spruikers working for the council, liaising with the FFA at the time. Uh, and, um, you know, some, some and, and, you know, Lou Sticker, who I'm sure you all know. I mean, Lou's a, a man who can... Uh, articulate and sell a concept very, very well, you know. Um, and and Steve Horvath, the ex-Socceroo centre-back, you know, gave it kind of football credibility. So they did have, you know, a bit game. I mean, most of us in the media regarded them as the outsiders at the time. Mm. We thought we thought the, um, the South East Melbourne franchise, uh, you know, Team Eleven, would be the one that would would get it quite quite easily, actually. So we were all wrong footed as well. Yeah, we all were, but they've uh, they've got the job done, haven't they? Three years later, they're uh, the uh, the champions of the. Oh yeah, season. they certainly have on the pitch. On the pitch, it's been great. I mean, they were they were one game away from a grand final in their first first season. Lynchy, just how big yeah. is the achievement? of winning the grand final in your third year. Um, you've alluded to a lot of the sort of um, positioning of the club as they came into the competition. But if you put that to one side, um, just the football project in itself, from going from, you know, no organisation to a grand final championship in three seasons, you know, where do you oh, rate uh, that? Phenomenal. In, where do you rate that? Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, we have to leave aside the first 
four or five years where there had been no winners. So, you know, Sydney winning the first one, well, yeah, good achievement. But, you know, um, eight clubs and a brand new league and Melbourne victory doubling up twice in the first four seasons. Yeah, excellent achievement. But, you know, bit of a Mickey Mouse league, only eight teams and, um, and, and a brand new competition trying to find its way. Brisbane's achievement was significantly better, you know, I think, than both those. Um, uh, you know, a bigger comp, expanded comp, it was slightly a lot more mature then to go and win their back-to-backs. But to, to come into what is a mature, well, quite mature competition, you know, it's like 15th season, isn't it? 16th season, this one. And to win the title in your third year against... Um, a bigger league, more opposition. Uh, I mean, look, you know, Melbourne, Melbourne City slash Heart. I mean, they took uh, eleven years, even with all their resources, to win a title, didn't they? Melbourne Heart, I think, only made the finals probably once in the first few years, once, twice, maybe, but didn't really finish much higher than fifth or sixth uh, most years, or or didn't go deep into the finals. When the city money came in, they improved, but they tended to get as far as semi-finals, and then they got to a grand final and lost that. I mean, it took well, it wasn't until last season, um, which is which was you know nine eight or nine years after the city money came in that they could win a championship. So when you compare that with the resources and backup and infrastructure that CFG had for Melbourne City, and it took them kind of nine, eight or nine years from the city takeover for the Western people to win a championship from ground zero in three seasons on a, in a footballing sense is, you know, it's probably the best achievement in the league, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's a very phenomenal achievement, as you described. And I think yeah. at the end of the day, um, history will reflect on um, this championship very, very well for them. There's a lot of, obviously, off-field issues and COVID's played a big part of that. Uh, as well as uh, just the general economy. And they've got a um, a big task ahead of them with their stadium. But uh, ultimately, this has been a fantastic achievement. Um, Lynchy, just on John Aloisi, I mean, um, when Graham, when we had you last on the program, when Graham Arnold um, was um, under pressure to retain his job before or just after the Saudi mm. Arabia match, um, you know, people were talking about um, if Arnold had been replaced, who would they replace him with? And, um, you know, there was a few people from overseas mentioned, and you know, Tony Tony Popovich was the name that was on the the tongue and the lips of uh, most of the pundits. And you know, John Aloisi is not never really sort of um, in conversations with people, sort of figured prominently. Does this now uh, put him in a better light for the national team, maybe against a, a Popovich as a, as a likely contender? Does he now shoot? to um, contention um, in the event uh, we have a change of coach uh, in the next uh, few months? Well, yeah. I mean, it has to be. He's won a championship, you know. It's actually something Tony Popovich, uh, uh, has he done it? I don't think he has in the A-League, has he? He's got to grand finals and semi-finals, but none of his teams have actually won a, an A-League grand final. They achieved something greater, winning a, an Asian Champions League. Uh, that was very much an outlier. John's done something Tony hasn't done in that regard. Tony's got a 
a long body of work. But, you know, so is John Aloisi. I mean, he's taken Brisbane to within two two game, you know, two semi-finals, and they lost that ludicrous game when they were three nil up after twenty five minutes. Do you remember? Into Wanderers, twenty sixteen, yeah, the year Adelaide won. So you know, with an ounce of luck, they should have made that grand final. Uh, I think yeah, John Aloisi's tenure to be overlooked uh, as a as a coach, but he's he's had some good results. You know, I mean, he's had he learnt on the job. You know, with training wheels with with Melbourne Heart, um, and um, obviously. That was difficult. I mean, he didn't have much of a, a a preparatory grounding, did he? He didn't spend... Mark Popper spent a long time as an assistant. You know, he was an assistant with Sydney FC. Um, oh, I can't remember who was the head coach then. I don't know if it was Cosy. It might have been Branco or even before that. He was an assistant at Crystal Palace as well when Doogie Friedman, I think, was in charge. So, so Popper had quite a long grounding and then the A-League coaching senior senior position fully formed and and has delivered really good results. He's sort of fallen short just at the final hurdle, hasn't he? Perth Glory beating in a shootout, Wanderers losing um, to, to Brisbane and also to um, Central Coast. Whereas John sort of, you know, done it more unobtrusively, had a spectacular flame out in that, early period at Hart, but you know, I was covering Hart in those days, it was <laughs> it was a very, very cash-strapped organisation, the days of um, training out of La Trobe University, porter cabins for dressing rooms and uh, big green wheelie bins full of ice for ice baths ice baths, not conducive, is it, to producing championship winning teams, you know um, but um, but having said that, this lot, they've been, you know, uh, very well grounded. I think the move to the hangar has really helped them, the Essendon training ground, you know, up up near Essendon Fields, near the airport, which is a first-grade, uh, first-class AFL club, rich AFL club's facility. So so obviously the facilities are really good. If, you know, and if, you, if you're coming into a nice place, nice changing rooms, nice showers, the gym's excellent, the pitches are good. You sort of want to come to work, don't you, if you're a footballer? I'm not saying you don't otherwise, but it makes it easier, and I think that improves the whole mental approach. Well, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? They're they're professional footballers, no matter where they play in the world, and if they're treated like second-class citizens in a a dingy old uh, dressing room at a second-rate field, then uh, you you can't help but uh, think that that part of of their uh, mentality is going to sort of drift off a little bit, but you treat them like professionals, and uh, and hopefully they're going to get a result. Lynchy, before we we go, though, um, Edge did uh, allude to the potential of of, uh, Arnie uh, losing his job job if uh, the Socceroos don't negotiate this tricky path. We talked to our mutual good mate Johnny Cosmina earlier on in the show about the Socceroos. Uh, uh, well, it's a treacherous path over the next week or so. Um, what do you think uh, we should expect? Uh, it's obviously uh, you know, not quite a disaster, but it's as close to it as possible to have Tom Rogic uh, uh, missing. He was meant to be the you know the, the key man in the whole outfit. Well, is it, is it a disaster? I mean, how many good games have you seen Tom Rogic actually play for the Socceroos? 90 minutes mm. of mm. outstanding games where he's controlled the tempo and mm. set up everything for the whole game. 
This is not a criticism of Rogic's mm. talent or ability, but I've covered a lot of the games in which Tom Rogic has been involved, and he can look fantastic for 20 minutes or half an hour, mm. Mm. Uh, but not always. And he can often look invisible. <laughs> you know? But Lynchy, and, but Lynchy yeah. does, uh, it's about the players who are replacing him in his position, whether they're as good as him. And, uh, well, do you know what? I, I thought Moy looked all right today for an hour. I mean, you didn't expect him to play 90 minutes because he uh, hasn't played a lot of football. But he, he's not he's, playing he's forward, a, is he? He's playing in a in a. Yeah, he's not playing role. forward. Yeah, exactly. He's not. He's not playing in that sort of attacking midfield role. But the point I've made is how many times has Tom Rogic actually delivered much in that mid- attacking midfield role? He looks great for Celtic often, but he plays off the bench a lot. He, he he plays half games or he comes on against Tyler Pope. I'm not knocking Tom Rogic here. He, it would be better to have him. But I'm saying I don't know if it's the disaster that people immediately assume it is. I mean, why can't Aiden Frustich do that and play that role? He's playing at a much higher level well, than he's Tom the obvious, Rogic here. He's the obvious one. Yeah, he's the obvious one. They obviously yeah. had a look at... And, he, uh, and, he, and, he, and he's playing for a, for a, for a club that's playing at a much higher level, just won a European trophy. Hmm. He's played a lot so, of league. So why yeah, wouldn't, yes. hey, why wouldn't he be able to do that? You know, Riley McGree, um, okay, uh, is, is the English Championship a tougher league than the Scottish Premier League? Many would argue that it is. Yeah, well, and McGree's yeah. done well. McGree's done well enough, hasn't he, when he's moved there? To, he did well at Birmingham City. Uh, a struggling team that, you know, was was really on a hiding to nothing playing for them. And then he got that move to Middlesbrough, a pushing for promotion to the Premier League. Um, so, I mean, McGree wasn't really all that lively today, was he? But he's probably a bit ring rusty. So, uh, you know, yes, it would be better if Rogic was in the mix, but he's not. So let's just get on with it and let's just look to Hrustic. Let's just look to McGree. Um, you know, if it ends up getting desperate in the last 15 minutes and you're lobbing high balls into the box and going route one, well, Jackson Irvine, he arrives late and he's good with his head. Blokes like that, you know, can... can we, we've got to make the best out of a bad job. You know, this is not a brilliant Socceroo squad. This is no golden generation. Um, but, you know, uh, the team... The team has to cut its cloth according to the materials available. Um, do I think they can qualify for the World Cup? Well, of course they can because they've got a puncher's chance. Um, will they? Uh, I wouldn't want to be having a lot of money on it. But look, UAE, how good are they? They can't be that good because they didn't finish in the top two in their group, did they? Um, and, you know, Australia could could have a, a good chance against them if they can play the game on their terms, high tempo perhaps, and, and have a bit of physicality about it. I, I just feel that if Australia go 1-0 down to the UAE, it's going to be very, very difficult because, you know, um, we've seen the UAE in action so many times in the past. In a crucial game, if they're trying to preserve an advantage, they'll just milk the clock, they'll lie down, they'll dive, they'll roll around, they'll, they'll break up any rhythm. And it will be hard in those circumstances. So I think it's essential that Socceroos actually 
go one nil up in that game, and even if they end up having to win on penalties or something, they got a chance. Peru, Peru will be a better footballing team than Australia, no doubt about it. But you, you know, you've got a puncher's chance against anyone. I mean, if you can park the bus, <laughs> keep them goalless, and then nick something on the break, who's to say you can't do it? As I said, I wouldn't want to be having a lot of money on it, but you can't say it's not possible. Legit to ho- quote the Hollywood classic. You're saying they've got a chance, and that's all we need, my friend. They're there, and we keep keeping our fingers. See you next time, Lynchy. Right, okay, fine. stick around and next on Box to Box, we're going to talk to a man on the other side of the world, at other another good friend of ours, Rob Tanner from The Athletic. He's been as, with us since the early days. We're going to talk about the Champions League. Well, there's plenty to talk about there. Lots of stories uh, in Europe. The for- forest promotion, amazing. And, of course, the uh, incredible win uh, for Ukraine at Hamden Park against Scotland. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. And after we've dealt with local issues, it's always a good addition to Box to Box when we talk to our good friend from The Athletic, Rob Tanner. We've got a few things to talk about from Champions League, Forest, Ukraine beating Scotland. Amazing, that one. How are you, Rob? I'm great. Thank you, guys. It just goes to show, doesn't it, the the, uh, domestic season might be over, but there's still so much football and so much to talk about. It never ends, does it, mate? I think the the the, um, the Premier League uh, ended, and then we had the uh, the following week. Obviously, the Forest uh, uh, Huddersfield match, which we'll talk about in a moment. But before we do, uh, the uh, look Real Madrid, we can't take away from what uh, Carlo Ancelotti engineered there. It's a, it's it was an amazing result. We knew what they'd do. They did it. Um, Liverpool just seemed to be a little out of gas. Uh, they couldn't apply the finishing touch, but the deserved team won on the night. But uh, um, the biggest story really was the, the chaos around the organisation. Now, we all know that it was originally scheduled for St. Petersburg. We're told that between thirty and 40,000 uh, travelling Liverpool fans, uh, according to the French, had, uh, had uh, fake tickets. Uh, who do you believe with all of this, Rob? I mean, it just seems like a, well, I'm going to call it out for what it was, an absolute shit fight. Well, the Stade de France have said there was actually 2,300 fake tickets that they confiscated. Mm. So I don't believe anything that um, the French authorities have said after this. Mm. It's been a pack of lies and it's been contradicted by their own media as mm. well. Um, they've been roundly condemned as well. The fact they tried to put the blame on Liverpool fans uh, for this shambles is... Well, it's incredible, really, that they think they could get away with that. But there was a number of fake tickets, which there always are at major events. It's, you know, the racket, it's, it makes money. In the, you know, and there's a lot of fans that would have travelled without tickets and tried to buy one on the streets. But as every day unfolds since then, um, you read more and more eyewitness accounts, not just from Liverpool fans, from Real Madrid fans as well of how there was no policing um, between their their um, places of transport to the stadium. And they were getting attacked by local youths um, who were stealing from them, pickpocketing them, taking their tickets even. Uh, local youth scaling the fencing to get into the, the venue without tickets. It had a lot of a, a fam- familiar feel to what happened at Wembley in the uh, Euro final. Uh, people trying to um, tailgate, get in behind people and jumping over fences without tickets. It was just chaos and but I think what the, the big uh, talking point for a lot of fans was the, the heavy policing heavy-handed policing with um, tear gas and pepper spray indiscriminately being sprayed and and, and released 
around you know children were there with their 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 families going to watch this game i mean it's, you should go to a major sporting event like this with excitement and you know anticipation not with fear of what's going to happen and i think uefa need to have a another strong look at this uh, and not bury their head in the sands it has to be a completely independent investigation into what happened it can't be somebody that uefa appointed it has to be completely different um it has to be perhaps a fan, fans groups can can hire uh, the investigation or lead the investigation because these these things can't keep, continue to happen. These are these aren't League One two games. These are the biggest showpiece occasions in UEFA's calendar: the Euro final and now the Champions League final. So um, it, it is uh, it must be a major concern, especially the fact that Liverpool were involved and everybody still uh, talks about Hillsborough in nineteen eighty nine and what happened there with crushes and heavy handed policing and poor policing. Uh, that's turned out, to, and then you know the cover-up that uh, the cover-up for nearly thirty years. I mean, that can't be allowed to happen this time. Luckily, nobody was seriously hurt. Getting onto the actual pitch, uh, what wasn't disgraceful, I suppose, was Liverpool's performance. They they were quote unquote the better team on the night in terms of they created more chances. Um, but do they have a problem with finals, Rob? Or what is the problem with Liverpool in finals? They haven't scored a goal in the three that they've been in this season, and Klopp has a losing record in finals. I think, yeah, that is um, whether it's a psychological barrier, but they have won two finals domestically this season. I mean, they were going for something that was completely unprecedented, the quadruple. Um, Man City just pipped them in the in the league, and they just seemed to, in that final week, that the air in their balloon seemed to be released a little bit. Um, they went into the, the Champions League final, and they were for Liverpool. They were lacking intensity. They were they were undercooked in terms of going into the game. In, in my opinion, they looked like they just didn't have the energy levels to play that high pressing game, that high intensity game that uh, Jurgen Klopp has them playing. And they're so good at it, but they come up with a side, and we have to give Real Madrid credit. They come up against sides like Real Madrid, who are so well organised, defend so stoically, deeply. They don't give you any space to exploit. They don't come at you, so there's loads of sp- uh, gaps for the counter-attack, which Liverpool love to do. There was there was none of that. And, and we, we saw them all the way through the competition, and you just had a feeling that their name was on, on it again this year because the amount of times they showed resilience and character to come from behind in ties against top, top teams as well uh, to, to do it. Um, it was quite extraordinary. Um, I mean, the, the Man City one was the... The, the greatest example, I think, but there were so many during the, the earlier rounds as well. Real Madrid backs against the wall and they come out fighting. This was the first time I can remember them actually leading in the tie. And it was in the final and they managed to see it out. Um, I mean, it wasn't the greatest of spectacles on the pitch because of that. Uh, and also, you could see the same in the um, in the Conference League final when Roma won it. R- Roma are very similar. Um, you know, they get get their noses in front and they just defend for their lives. And the, there wasn't a lot of football played against Feyenoord in the conference final either. And I saw them do it against Leicester in Rome as well. Um, but that's their culture and, they, and the fans love that. They, they love to see a clean sheet and 1-0 victory. Whereas in England, we love the 5-4s, you know, 3-3 three, three battles and, and end-to-end football and counter-attacking and speed. They appreciate that, that side of the tactical side of football there the ability to defend deep and hold on to a lead. And they're very effective at it. So we've seen two sides, Roma and, and Real Madrid, who have done that superbly well and they've been rewarded with silverware. 
Sadio Mane in the last season of his contract, Salah in the last season of his contract. He's come out and said he's going to stick around for a for a season. Um, that leaves open the possibility of him leaving for a free. But Mane heavily linked with a move to Bundesliga and to uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, where does where does this live leave this Liverpool squad? How how important is it for them to at least retain one of? Mane and Salah, is there a danger of both of them winding down their contracts? Or do you think actually it might be better to to, to let them wind down their contracts because the sorts of transfer fees that might be available are not really going to do much in the transfer market anyway? Well, I think if they if they feel they haven't got the stomach or the heart for, to stay there and, and fight again and challenge again, then they're best to cash in now. They've got, it's still got, they've still got a value for, even though they've got a year, only a year. They still have a, a material value, so they could cash in and reuse those funds to develop the squad. But I think all squads have a, a shelf life. Uh, and again, I throw it back to what I'm familiar with, Leicester City. They're going to be doing that this summer. They're having a rebuild. Those squads have that have been together three or four years. After a while, they probably need another injection of hunger. Uh, of people that it's all fresh and new to them. They're determined. They want success. They've seen that this team have success and they want to be a part of it. It's great to add those sort of people and they've done it with Diaz. Um, but sometimes if those players have been there a long time, they get stale. Uh, I'm not saying Salah and Mane have got stale because you look, you look at their performances this season. But if they sense that psychologically they they want to try something different, they want a new challenge, best to let them go. I mean, if uh, Bayern Munich are offering decent money for Mane for one year left in his contract, let him go because you and get a centre forward in, uh, a bit like Man City with Haaland. Go and get a, a centre forward because they don't play really with an out and out centre forward. Firmino's the only one, but I think he's coming to the end of his his journey with Liverpool as well. So uh, it does feel like it's a watershed moment for them. There's going to be a little rebuild done at Liverpool. Let's change gears and just uh, talk about uh, what happened at Wembley um, just uh, last weekend with Nottingham Forest. Uh, getting promoted to the Premier League for the first time in 23 years. You uh, reside in the Midlands. Um, you understand the culture of um, Midlands football um, better than anyone uh, that's been on this program. Can you just tell us the significance of that achievement and um, was Nottingham uh, buzzing for, or is it still buzzing and uh, were the pubs and clubs uh, overflowing uh, last uh Sunday and well into uh, Monday and Tuesday, no doubt. Well, Nottingham will still be buzzing all summer after that. <laughs> I mean, it was such an incredible achievement considering where they were when Cooper took over. I mean, they were nowhere. They were fighting relegation. And then to, to, to see them, and I, I obviously saw them uh, live when they hammered Leicester in the FA Cup. And I was so impressed with the, the aggression and the organisation of the team. And uh, I mean, they also beat Arsenal. So, they're a side that know they can beat Premier League teams. So they'll be going into the, the Premier League without fear, but they need to spend a lot of money to be in the best shape. I mean, that's a squad that's been put together, a lot of loan signings and bits and bobs here, and Cooper's brought it all together superbly. But it does need a lot of work. But it's a fantastic achievement for Forrest, as you said, such a long time. You know, they haven't been in the Premier League this century. And two-time you, you know, European Cup winners, uh, Cluffy and all that, the history of them to have them back in the Premier League is fantastic and and I think most Leicester fans will welcome it as well because they've got a genuine local derby I mean Aston Villa have been their local rivals for such a long time West Midlands and East Midlands now they're neighbours from on the doorstep Nottingham Forest there as well 
challenging for the title of Midlands champions, which Leicester have held for a number of seasons now. And what about the future of their owner? He's come under some conjecture in media speculation recently that he was facing um, some pretty serious charges in Greece, which he was acquitted of. We should mention that. But there has been a little bit of media speculation that the Greek owner, he obviously owns Olympiakos, the, the famous Athens club as well. But yeah. um, what's your perspective on whether he will have some difficulties um, being accepted under the fit and proper person rules? Uh, they they redo these rules all the time. I mean, the, the fit and proper persons tests in the past have basically have been, have they got the funds? Have they got the funds? Yes, then that's it, they're fit and proper. And nothing else has ever been checked about their backgrounds before. Um, I mean, Birmingham City, a classic example, Carson Young, a hairdresser from Hong Kong, who was able to buy the club for <laughs> £70 million. Pounds. That went through. Uh, that went through at the second attempt because the first time they thought he didn't have the funds, so they blocked it. So the second time it was they were Golden Sullivan sold the club to him for seventy million pounds. He ends up getting sent to prison for money laundering. So nobody did a fit and proper persons test on him, other than has he got the funds? Yes, he has. Then he can have Birmingham City and do whatever you want with it. And we've seen the mess that the club's been in ever since. So I, I think fit and proper persons test test just ignore them because all they are is just have they got funded and that's it. That's all they seem to care about. They don't care about ethics. They don't do anything, any other due process on these people who are buying these football clubs. So, Rob, um, before we let you go, the big news over the last 24 hours was uh, the Ukraine result against Scotland at Hamden Park. Uh, the Scots, uh, they've had their own World Cup drought and and had hoped, obviously, that this would uh, see the end of it. But facing the, the, the avalanche of international support for Ukraine and, to be fair, a, a, a Ukrainian side who... Who looked like they uh, they hadn't missed a beat um, technically, uh, strategically on every level. They won that match comfortably. Uh, but what a story it is! Uh, do, do you um, do you give them um, a better than even chance of, of getting a similar result against Wales next week? I absolutely do. And I sat and watched that game last night, and I couldn't believe that. I mean, I mean, obviously those players have been playing in their domestic leagues, and and, and but they haven't been together as a group for such a long time, and. There was some uncertainty about whether they would actually play it, but Ukraine said, look, we definitely want to play this. We want to do it for our country. Never underestimate that sort of camaraderie and when you, that sort of feeling and, and that they're basking in the fact that you know, the whole world seems to be supporting them. And they went to, to Hamden. I mean, it's not easy to go there because um, the Scots you know, make a, a great atmosphere themselves. And, but they totally outplayed them. It was as if they were at home. I mean, there was a lot of Ukrainian refugees who, you know, have come over since the war who were supporting them in the ground as well. There was a great feeling about it. There was no, not only um, tribalism and animosity in the stadium between two rival fans. There was a lot of love. And, and I think Ukraine just fed off that. And um, I think they'll do the same against Wales. I think they'll get to Qatar. Well, that is a huge prediction, isn't it, mate? And uh, we saw uh, Wales uh, get beaten by uh, a quality Poland side, but uh, most of their best players were sitting in the grandstand preparing for that match. So um, it'll be an amazing achievement. Uh, sadly for Wales, if it, it does happen, um, it, it's um, it's not going to be good for them, but uh, it's pretty hard to argue that most of the rest of the world would love to see Ukraine make it and um, and, and get a result. And if they do, based on the kind of form we saw against Scotland, uh, you know they won't be uh, the worst side in, in the tournament, will they? They've got some really good players. I mean, Yarmolenko, every time I see him, I'm impressed with him. He's, he's, he's aggressive. He's, he's a powerful runner. He's a good finisher, as we saw. You know, he's a, he's a figurehead for them. 
they've got some good players. They're 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 a decent side. It's not just the the the, the feel good factor around them um, that's propelling them, although it's a major factor for them. But they've got good players, technically good players as well. Well, we will wait and see, Rob, as we're awaiting uh, this side of the world to see if our very own Socceroos can uh, do a similar job and negotiate a path through the UAE and hopefully Peru over the next week. But uh, I'd suspect that that's not making big headlines in your part of the world, mate. But, uh, oh, we do. We do um, keep an eye on it. We do keep an eye on it. I mean, it'd be great to have you there. Yeah, we'd love to be there, mate. Well, look, Rob, uh, it's always good to chat to you, mate. Um, there'll be a reason to uh, to reach out to you and ask you for uh, uh, some more of your time over the next month or so, mate. But uh, in the meantime, you stay well. Enjoy the start of summer and uh, and all of these international fixtures uh, as we get uh, set for uh, for the next uh, six months of football. It's going to uh, uh, end with uh, with hopefully what will be a, a really entertaining World Cup in Qatar. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Good on you, Rob Tanner, our good friend from The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, do yourself a favour, jump on board um, with uh, Optus. You get uh, a free six-month subscription or just uh, subscribe to it in your own right. Some of the best international copy on football going around. Okay, stick around. We've got heaps more to talk about in stoppage time on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. It's been a great show. Really enjoyed chatting to Cozzy, Lynchy and our good mate Rob Tanner. But we've got uh, plenty still to get through. The fourth official has given us a lot of time for stoppage time. But before we do... Some of the time we have left is going to be devoted to our good friends at Chemist Warehouse. Yes, of course, you can get 40% off the entire healthy care vitamin range. Now, if you want to stay healthy, particularly as you get a little bit older, if your dietary intake's not quite what it should be, if you're eating too many burgers or pizzas or a few too many frothies, you've got to make sure that you supplement your diet with some vitamins and there's none better than healthy care the vitamin c 500 milligram 500 tablets for 15.59 the healthy care immune defense we all need that with covid still hanging around lots of flu 120 tablets for 17.39 healthy care vitamin d3 1000 international units 500 capsules yes 15.29 and healthy care olive leaf extract 500 mils for 12.59 derek uh, do you have a preference for any of those in your um in your bathroom cabinet every day uh, I've got them all, in fact, Rob. But I'll be going back just to get get additional ones. So I've always I'm always prepared. Excellent. And Michael, what about you? Are you into the uh, the immune defence as you start travelling the world again? Yes, I've uh, been able to avoid the obvious um, COVID nineteen thing uh, wherever I've gone of recent times. So there must be that immune defence uh, capsule that I take, Rob. Of course it is. Gemma's Warehouse. If you want to stay healthy like Michael and Derek and me, get in there. Because the great savings are every single day. Okie doke, gentlemen. What do we got uh, now? Uh, Derek, you've given us a nice little list. We wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the liverpool uh, Real match because, uh, you know, there, there was more to it than the crowd trouble. Well, no, I wanted to talk about the uh, the crowd problems. I mean, we touched on it briefly with Rob Tanner, but I, I know that know that Edge will have some views as a, a man who attends many a, a major tournament. Um, but yeah, I was reflecting on it over the week, kind of ironically, probably would have been better organised if it had been in Russia after all. I, I doubt that would have been the 
the same problems uh, there. Uh, some people reflecting on these fan zones in grounds, which uh, which in cities, which attract more ticketless, ticketless people and people who are desperate to to get any kind of ticket. Uh, I don't know much about the ticketing system, but I think you know if the days are kind of leaving us now, where it's not a paper ticket and we're going into QR codes and mobile phones, I think that also leaves quite a lot of. Um, of, of op- a lot open there too. Uh, it, it, a lot of people pointing out that the Real Madrid fans didn't have any problems, but it is not not because it was a Liverpool fans. It's just at that end of the stadium apparently was, you know, just woefully policed by some very kind of trigger happy French uh, gendarmerie, and uh, uh, and yeah, all very sour scenes. But uh, Edge, I mean, you were telling us about how many fake tickets were, were floating around. What, what what do you make of it all? Um, from the people that I've spoken to who work in the industry in this space, um, they tell me that people with fake tickets actually got into the ground, which is um, uh, which is the case uh, for the Wembley problem as well. Um, and that's a new development in the counterfeit ticketing arrangements. As we migrate from paper tickets to a digital world, it appears that um, that's not as robust as uh, might uh, they, the you know the officials and the people behind these strategies are saying they are that's a real concern so um uh, the arab cup in qatar was all operated via digital tickets as well so that's the uh, way we're moving everyone's now a little bit nervous about uh, the world cup and and fake tickets as well so if they're able to not only replicate a ticket digitally but the approval of the barcode to enter the stadium that is a that is a really big development in this space. So I think um, there is a lot of conjecture about how many fake tickets were out um, in the market. And obviously, um, we heard Rob Tanner say that he didn't really believe any of the officials out of France and um, that this was a, you know, you know they've been proven to be wrong. So look, there's the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, uh, the, the, real th- the real issue is that in... Um, of recent times at big major events when there's only been paper tickets, they've been able to restrict the um, uh, the on-forwarding and counterfeiting of tickets really tightly um, because they have to go through people's hands rather than via an internet uh, process which can scale very quickly. So that is um, that is a big dilemma for the sport moving forward um, here in Qatar where I'm at the moment there is really strict contingencies around not only the ticketing but uh, your entry into the country and to make sure that you've got a real ticket real accommodation uh, real transfer services and those types of things so yeah it, it's a it's a it's an emerging development now that uh, after the you know, the debacle in Wembley and now this one at uh, Stade de France. We're in, yeah, we're in for some um, choppy waters, I think, uh, for a little while while these things are uh, improved and maintained. I must admit, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit uh, anxious about what might happen in Qatar with fake tickets. Do you think, Edge, uh, fans will travel to Qatar in the same numbers, like not uh, with, without tickets? I mean, uh, you know, obviously it's a smaller country. It's harder to get to than Paris, particularly for for English football fans. So did you, do you, is it is it set up for a fan to, you know, fly over there and then, you know, take their chance on the day as, as some of the people look like they did in Paris? Absolutely not, because you will not be given a hire card, which is your, uh, your automatic visa to enter the country without a pre-approved ticket and code 
that's uh, ticked off in all the systems. So there is no capacity under any circumstances for a fan without a ticket to get into the country. That's just not going to happen. If someone tries to do that, they're going to be they'll, they will be bounced at the border. Normal visa on arrival rules are being dis, being discarded with, and um, and uh, you need to have a ticket to get into the country during the World Cup. Another thing we spoke to Rob Tanner about uh, was the Nottingham Forest game. And I just wanted to have, well, just one rant. I don't know whether there's going to be any follow-up, but uh, Huddersfield were denied a, a clear penalty in this game and, and VR was not called upon. And, you know, one, one of the... I suppose one of the other problems is that VAR hadn't been used in the championship all season and then was introduced just for this um, playoff. So I think there is some fairness issues there. But referee John Moss, who was um, officiating in his final game, I don't have any problem with him because I feel like, you know, VAR should have stepped in here. I, I have no problem with Nottingham Forest going up the 1-1-0 one, one, and uh, the narrative that we um, we spoke to Rob Tanner about, you know, having a you know, two-time European champion, you know, back in the, the Premier League. The Premier League looks a lot a lot stronger for a team like Nottingham Forest in it. But, I'm, you know, I, as you guys know, I'm not re- I've never been a VAR fan. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to have a whinge and say I feel, I feel very sorry for Huddersfield. It was a it was a clear penalty and they should have at least had a look at it. And uh, I think I was listening to the Guardian uh, podcast this week and the question was, posed, Rob, you know, when is, is it going to be soon when a, when a sues the FA or the Premier League for loss of loss of income or loss of earnings? Is uh, You know, there's that's, that's a clear error there. Well, one day it's going to happen, isn't it? There, there can't be any question. There's, there's just too much money on the line. Imagine if you were the owners of Huskfield right now and uh, and and the, uh, the the protocol of checking with VAR on what appeared to at the very least have been uh, an incident that, that should have been checked. Um, uh, somebody's going to take it on. We, we, we don't know when it's going to happen, but it's inevitable that it will. And, uh, you know, the Huddersfield fans, uh, you know, they've uh, uh, only been out of the top flight for a couple of years. It would have been a great story for them as well. I mean, we love the narrative, as you say, around Forrest, uh, you know, first foundation member of the Premier League back in 92, uh, first time back in the top flight since 99. They're just an iconic name around the world. But, um, but yeah, you've got, to, uh, you've got to look at the potential for this to happen and, it will at some point. Yeah, we saw with uh, the Everton escaping relegation that there was some talk of uh, the relegated teams like Burnley having a look at having a look at the way that Everton's been run in recent years with uh, uh, Mashiri pouring his money into the club and, and and clearly you know it doesn't look on the outside that they should be meeting any kind of financial fair play at the moment. We know there's been some leniency with COVID in the way clubs can run and the losses that they can run, but yeah, I think if it's if it's not a decision, it will be one of those or a Derby County, uh, one of one of those uh, one of those scenarios. I can I can definitely see it um, happening. Uh, On to the more uh, you know, let's talk about Robert Lewandowski. Uh, I think I think you're a big fan, Edge, as I think a lot of people are. It looks like he's going to be leaving Munich for for Barcelona. I, I suppose my analysis here is. He could have easily stayed in Munich, taking the money in the Bundesliga titles. He's obviously got a thing about going and playing at another iconic club. But then, you know, Barcelona are going through an interesting time themselves. So what do you make of this proposed transfer? Well, it's really interesting, Derek, because um, speaking this week at a Poland press conference, Lewandowski, you know, he publicly stated that uh, 
he wanted to leave Bayern Munich in the summer and rather uh, than the end of his contract. He, his direct quote was, my story with Bayern has come to an end. I cannot imagine further good cooperation. I hope they will not stop me from leaving just because they can. A transfer is the best solution for everyone. Uh, Bayern responded by saying um, that uh, he was a required player and they expected him to see out his contract. And then uh, Penny Zawi, Zavi, um, his manager, uh, had this to say. He said, Bayern have not lost the player Lewandowski. They have lost Robert as a person. For Robert, Bayern is history. So there's obviously some bad blood going on there um, in some capacity that is um, obviously uh, stoking the fire for Lewandowski to leave. And I must admit, um, of any of the sort of big names in football, he's done his bit for Bayern at, uh, what is he, 32 or 33? Is He's entitled to go and chase something else at this stage of his career. And surely you want to have a good... Uh, a good relationship with one of the great all-time greats of your club. Uh, so Bayern might want to um, have a think about how they're handling this one. Certainly might be the reason why they're sniffing round Sadio Mane. Um, not a like-for-like replacement by any stretch. I think Lewandowski is just the pure finisher. Mane adds a lot of other dimensions as well as his goals as well. I tend to agree with you, Edge, about, you know, I don't think he owes Bayern anything. I do, I do have a bit of sympathy um, in the sense that he is a contracted player and, you know, ultimately it's up to them to decide whether or not they're going to sell him and he did sign that contract back in the day. So it'll be, it will be very interesting to see how that one goes. Um, a pl- person who is leaving uh, a club is, uh, is Ralph Ranić uh, from Manchester United. So, this uh, weird deal that they did to have him as the caretaker coach for six months and then um, have him on as a consultant for a year uh, is not going to happen. It seems that uh, Ten Hag doesn't want Ranić anywhere near uh, his setup. And, and to be fair, looking at what uh, what has transpired on the pitch uh, for Manchester United in the the back half of the season. I'm not surprised. Rannick, of course, has taken on the Austria gig full-time. Uh, you'd, you'd think uh, a, 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 an, an international role might leave him scope to do some consulting um, for Manchester United. But but Rob, uh, Rannick uh, uh, goes to the exit at Manchester United. I don't think there'll be a lot of fans, players, or anyone else at the club that are going to be too sad about that. And it ends just a very... Another very strange tale in the recent history of Manchester United. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? it um, the quote from Ten Hag when he was asked uh, uh, what he thought of the exact nature of uh, of what was proposed as Ragnick's new role was, that is for the club. Uh, so uh, you couldn't get a more underwhelming uh, response, but it all seemed to be playing out to, uh, over the last month when we saw Rangnick accept that role at, at Austria, who were a, a, a strong side in the recent Euros. So uh, um, his, um, his uh, luster hasn't been tarnished too much clearly at the international level, but uh, 
I think you're right about that. The Red Devils uh, fans uh, will um, will gladly show him the exit. Matt, uh, the the real question is: Does Eric Ten Hag have the capacity to to do that rebuild? Five managers on since Sir Alex, and uh, and is he going to have the time? Is this just going to be another chapter in the uh, uh, the devolution of Manchester United, or are we going to finally see that you know the the rock bottom uh, um, and 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 a bounce back? Uh, as a, a Liverpool supporter, I uh, I would be happy to see a few. More more years of pain, but um, I suspect that this guy, I sort of feel like they, they, the Manchester United set up, know enough about what's gone on since uh, Sir Alex's departure that they've got to give him uh, enough rope to uh, to at least rebuild something. I mean, do you do you, do you have a, a sense of this, Derek? Do you, do you feel that he's got uh, the capacity, despite the fact that he comes from you know uh, in the world of mega clubs, um, Ajax is uh, is a is a big club, but it's not. Uh, you know, let's not say it's uh, anywhere near the top shelf of the of the of the four big uh, continental uh, leagues. I uh, might give a quite a non-committal answer, Robin. That simply, I'd, I don't think anyone knows, and anyone who does say that they know, I'd, I'd, I think is either a liar or a fool. I, I think all we can do is look at where he's come from, which is yes, from a, a club of a similar stature. I'm sure Manchester United would would bristle at the thought being one of the sort of biggest revenue turning over clubs in the world. But let's face it, Ajax have performed a lot better in tournaments like the Champions League than Manchester United in in recent times. But obviously, Ajax, he came from a well-oiled machine and a well-run club with excellent personnel throughout it and a, um, and a great youth system. And obviously, in a league where they are, you know, it's not quite, well, is it a farmer's league? Possibly, you know, the Feyenoord and PSV and, and some others might disagree with me, but, you know, he's now coming to the Premier League. And as we know, it's just every game is a challenge and there are no free points. And I think that's, you know, that's what managers face when they come to this league now. So I think it's a better appointment than some of the ones that they've made, whether it be, a, a you know, a kind of sort of flailing Mourinho or a sort of ageing um, Van Hal or an underpowered Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think, you know, they've actually gone out and got someone with pedigree, but will that actually transfer onto the pitch? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. And if we are going to see it, gents, uh, looks like uh, Optus have put their prices up for uh, for uh, for a Premier League subscription here. If you're an Optus customer, you're going to have to spend money um for the first time and, and to get that and coupled with all the other subscriptions we're gonna uh, that we um that we have uh football in australia is getting quite expensive to watch and what do we make of this optus deal um is this just a, a money grab or are they, are they struggling to make the you know to pay for it so they're having to kind of jack the prices up maybe there aren't maybe they didn't sell as many subscriptions as they thought edge I think it's more to do with the fact that um, probably they've uh, they've re- skewed the rights again, so I'd say they're paying a lot more money, and they're looking to um, offset probably losses that they've had in this uh, first period, um, and capitalise on a customer base that is uh, enjoying the product. So I think it's a um, I think it's a combination of all of the above. Um, you know what I find interesting in all of this is that. Um, you know the rights holders, the the leagues, uh, the federations, uh, the confederations, uh, and FIFA are exploiting the streaming services really well. But it's going to get to a point where 
fans have to choose. And uh, it'll be really interesting as the market begins to fragment based on the priority that the fans want because some of these prices are going to be uh, incredibly restrictive. Well, they are. We we were talking about uh, Rob uh, counterfeit uh, tickets and Mm. the problems at Wembley last year for the the European Championships and the problems in France for the Champions League final. I'll tell you what, excuse me, that there'll be some um, counterfeiting of... Uh, subscriptions going on, I would think. Well, what you're going to see, uh, Edge, is uh, is that uh, that people will share subscriptions. So, uh, so one one person will buy Stan, and the other will buy Optus, and they'll let their mates log in uh, um, on on uh, their own devices to, to work around the platform. Uh, I mean, it's not sustainable to suggest that that that. So, uh, if you want to buy them all, Rob, you've calculated, haven't you? What, yeah. What's the yeah, yeah. So, so it, let's just say work it out at the baseline level. So, if you want to watch domestic football on Paramount Plus, you've got to pay eight dollars ninety nine. Surely that's a loss leader. That's eventually. about to go they'll, up. Yeah, they'll kick that up soon. The base package for Foxtel is fifty nine dollars, so that gets you La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, the Championship, Major League Soccer as well. Um, then Optus, uh, so you're paying a, around fourteen to sixteen dollars now if you're not an Optus subscriber. Uh, if you are an Optus sub- subscriber, you get it thrown in. But if you, uh, in the future, you're going to have to pay as a subscriber uh, around. I think it's uh, just under seven dollars, but it's going to be up to twenty six dollars for those yeah, that's to be high. Optus. And then with Stan, you've got to pay fourteen dollars for the basic Stan package, and then another ten dollars to get the football on top. So, so that's about one hundred and seventeen dollars a month. Um, uh, you know, the better part of $1,500 over 12 months. So, uh, so you know, the, the smart people are going to do what I suggested, share subscriptions. Uh, they're going to be using trial periods. Uh, but the, 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 the ridiculous thing about all of this is that uh, that Stan, for example, sake, owned by Nine Entertainment, um, they, they've, they've uh, been uh, making a big deal about getting um, sub- subscribers on to Stan, but then they play the Champions League on Gem. And so you can watch it for free. Same thing with Paramount. You watch the, you know, um, most, if not all of the um, the game, the big games in the finals on ten. So, so you know, if you you've got to watch out for what's available on the free services as well, and just juggle your platforms. I think it's just, we can we can complain all we like, but it's the way of uh, of the of the, the modern era. It's almost as if, gents, you need one company to just come in and buy up all the rights, and then just put it put it on one package. Oh. Oh no! Wait, they did that with Foxtel, didn't they? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, that that, that weren't, weren't they the golden days? Um, and we just took them for granted when we had them, didn't we? All right, boys. Look, we could talk all night. We time is getting away from us. Um, let's wrap it up. Hopefully, this time next week, Michael, you're over there in Doha. You're going to be at the game. Um, we are obviously all uh, uh, going to be uh, there in spirit as well. Uh, we we know that. Um, that the uh, UAE Federation has, has given away 5,000 free tickets. So um, uh, let's just hope that, uh, that Graham Arnold can can get um, the boys through. And, and this time next week, we're previewing the match against Peru. Absolutely. It's going to be a incredible few days in the lead-up to the UAE game. And then if we can get over the top, it's going to be a monumental build-up to the Peru match. So, um, look, uh, there's a good feeling in the group. Uh, I spent a bit of time uh, in and around uh, the Federation a little bit in the last few days and, um, you know, they're stealing themselves for, you know, the most important uh, games in this playing, this this group of players' uh, lives. So let's hope the, uh, fingers crossed, uh, the Socceroos can, we just get across the first one and then regroup and see what we can do against Peru. All right. Enjoy it, Edge. Thank you.
uh, Derek, thank you. Uh, great work again, mate. Oh, thank you very much, Jens. And Damo, thank you as well for making us look as or sound as good as we possibly can. And Willem, uh, you're probably listening out there, mate. We uh, hope you're uh, getting over the departure of Lawrence Thomas uh, um, as uh, we talked about off the top of the show and, and you'll be back next week. And we hope you, all of our listeners, will return as well. We do hope you subscribe to Box to Box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.